Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. I'm your host, Todd Burrows. Very excited tonight uh, for any of you who are regular listeners of the show. It's going to be a little bit different tonight. Um, If you're interested in talk about MyFantasyLeague.com, MFL 10, something like that, I actually uh, got uh, an article posted today, uh, one of my first articles that I've ever written. It's on football diehards, and I'm going to be doing a little bit of writing for them. So if you want to read about MFL 10s, uh, you can go there or find it on my timeline and, um, you know, get your fill of football for the day. But today is a little bit of a different podcast for us. Um, If you've listened to the podcast, you know that at times I'll interject that I'm a born-again Christian and – you know, I'll, I'll normally tie it to some, some fact or some point that I want to make as, um, uh, you know, because I live my faith as, I, as, as it comes up. But today, I'm very happy to have Jason Romano. Jason is someone who worked behind the scenes at ESPN for many years. He became a Christian uh, along his travels, and we're going to be interviewing him. So, um that is what the podcast is going to be today, and I'm real excited about it. I hope you'll join us on this journey. I hope that it's edifying to, to you whether you are a Christian or whether you're just interested in a good conversation. And with no more further ado, Jason, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Todd, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I, I came across you based not on your time at ESPN, but from a recent podcast you did. You were on with uh, Matt Harmon, and it was a really a wonderful podcast. And, and Matt, as he always does, he's, he's such a down-to-earth guy. He did a great job. And for anyone who wants a lot of your backstory or your whole history with ESPN, um, certainly I, I, I strongly recommend you go there. But I want to cover here... A little bit of that, but kind of go a little bit more into the faith aspect. You've covered a lot of your own story very well in that interview with Matt Harmon. But for those who might not have heard it, can you tell us quickly about your story of your time at ESPN, how you got the job, how long you were there, and some of the, you know, some of your basic role that you uh, did for ESPN? Sure, I'll go as I'll give you the short, short version because there's a whole lot there. Uh, to mention, but I started at ESPN in 2000, July 18th of 2000 was uh, the date I got the job. I, uh, I went uh, and worked in local radio for three years first, right out of college. Then I got to ESPN. My very first job at ESPN was the uh, booker 
uh, on Mike and Mike in the morning. So that show was just in its early days, about six or five to six months old at the time. It had just started. And so it was in its infancy. And I was there as a part of it for about a year. Uh, I, I had my background in radio and I worked two more years at ESPN radio and then went nine years uh, as an ESPN talent TV booker and producer. And so that was a lot of fun. Got to interact with a lot of athletes and, and uh, basically uh, secure and book and, and take care of all the guests that you would have seen on all the different ESPN television and radio shows. And so I did that for nine years. And then my last four years at ESPN, I was a social media producer. I helped build the social media uh, that the NFL had at ESPN. So I did that and, and uh, had a blast doing social media there. And I finished just now about three months ago in February, February 10th, actually. So I guess it was exactly three months ago today, uh, tonight, that my last day at ESPN was. And I worked my last year or so at ESPN uh, on the Mike and Mike show as well, kind of returning to where I left or where I started, I should say. And I was uh, their social media uh, director, producer, whatever you want to call it. I was running their social media uh, at ESPN with Mike and Mike right up until I left. February 10th of uh, 2017. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, it was a lot of fun, had a great run, almost 17 years there and just met so many wonderful people and had such a, um, such a great time working there. I mean, listen, I, I never dreamed that I would ever get to ESPN. So to be working there and then work there for 16, almost 17 years was quite, quite the run had, had a blast. Yep. You, you, you described um, getting a job at ESPN um, similar to uh, a needle in the haystack or winning the lottery, and certainly as your dream come true. Can you talk a little about, a bit about the dream come true aspect of getting that job and working there? Yeah. Uh, so to be honest with you, Todd, it, it wasn't even a dream in the sense that it was so far beyond my realm of, of even dreaming that big that I could ever get to ESPN. So when I went to college, I specifically went to college to be a broadcaster. So I wanted to always do broadcasting. I knew that it would have been great if I could do it in sports. And obviously the pinnacle of that is ESPN, but I never thought I would reach that. I would have been completely content working as the local TV sports anchor in Albany, New York, where I grew up. And that would have been great. Um, but when I, when I saw that ESPN was a possibility, that's when I kind of knew, okay, maybe I can, Maybe I could end up there someday. You never know. And so it, it's weird because I tell people all the time it was a dream job, but I didn't even have, you know, in my brain, I didn't even have the capacity to dream that big. Like I didn't allow myself to dream that big uh, and end up, you know, here in Bristol, Connecticut. So, uh, but when I got the job, it was a, a very big deal. And it was definitely something where I was so just amazed and overwhelmed and kind of, and in some ways shocked, like, oh my goodness, this is, this is really happening. We're moving to Bristol, Connecticut, and I'm going to be an employee of the worldwide leader in sports, ESPN. It was, it was, you know, quite the, uh, quite the feeling. That's for sure. Yeah, and 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 you you again, you really went over that very very well in your podcast with Matt. Which again, to anyone listening, um, as a primer to this uh, interview, he, Matt, you know, Jason really goes into that. And, and the reason I ask about the dream aspect is because yep. I, I asked Jason before the show, 
you know, I wanted to make sure he was born again and, you know, get a little bit of the timeline. And what I found fascinating was you were living your dream job, you know, beyond your wildest dreams. And most people who accept Jesus, there's something that they feel is missing. So, you know, so could you tell us a little bit about how you heard about salvation, what led you to accepting Jesus Christ, and, you know, kind of that dynamic of finding a new dream while you were living your dream? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I started out, like I mentioned earlier, at ESPN, July 18th of 2000. On Saturday, it will be May 13th, 2017. That will be exactly 16 years to the day. It was Mother's Day 2001 when I first heard what salvation truly was. And I made that decision to walk with the Lord, to accept Christ as my Savior on Mother's Day 2001. And the way that kind of occurred was my brother. So I have two younger brothers, Chris and Damien. And Chris is the middle brother. And my middle brother, Chris, was the first in our family to really walk with God and and sort of become a Christian after we all kind of grew up Catholic, nominal Catholics, but and didn't really kind of pay attention to God. We went to church occasionally, but we weren't really sort of dedicated or focused on trying to understand what that whole salvation thing meant, what Jesus did on the cross, any of that. We really didn't know, and quite frankly, we didn't care. Um, but something happened, and my brother, Chris, was he was walking down a really bad path, and God got a hold of him and just miraculously turned him around. And there's no other explanation. This guy changed overnight. He, became, he literally did a 180 and turned into a different person, and it was a good person. Now, it was a little hard to accept at first because we thought he had been a part of some kind of cult or something because the, the change was so miraculous that you almost don't think it's real. You think somebody got a hold of him and this isn't really happening. This is some kind of fake religion thing, but it wasn't. After two, three years, you saw fruit really developing from this guy, and, and you just saw the way he would talk to people, the way he would treat people, the seriousness of his faith, how much he, um, how much he loved his wife and, and kids, and how he, he, how he talked and how he handled situations. You just saw a real, uh, a real change in him. And after a couple of years, it, it took me a while to really uh, sort of gravitate toward that. And at first, again, I really didn't want to have anything to do with it. And, but on Mother's Day of 2001, my brother invited me and my little brother and my mom to go to church with him. And I had been at his church before. It was a, a sort of a full gospel Pentecostal church. And growing up a Catholic, you go into a Pentecostal church, it is night <laughs> and day. It is it's a little different. It is a lot different. And so <laughs> the first couple of times we walked in there, it was culture shock. It was just different. And, but the third time, which was Mother's Day, it was, it was just a little different for me. It was, okay, I've been in here before. You know, it's not my thing. It's not my cup of tea. But, you know, I'll go. And that day, for some reason, I paid attention to the message a little closer, I guess, than the other times. The other times I was probably just focused on, you know, the craziness of it and when it was going to end so I could get out of there. But this time, the message actually permeated to me. I don't remember what the message was. Uh, I do remember that it had some kind of encouragement to it or whatever. And so when it was done, my brother simply asked me, he's like, what did you think? 
And I said, you know, Chris, that was all right. And, you know, I didn't say it was great. I didn't say it was awesome. You know, I didn't hate it, basically, was what it came down to. And, but he saw an opening there. And the fact that I said it was all right allowed him to kind of go deeper with me and say, okay, let's, let's figure out what this all right means. So he grabbed me, and we went into the back room of his house, just me and him. On Mother's Day, we sat down. And in the most non-judgmental, non-forceful, encouraging way a person could do it, he told me about Jesus. He told me about salvation. He told me about what, um, what God did by sending his son to die for us and why it was vital to accept him as, as Savior uh, and live with him for eternity and go to heaven. And it just made sense. I didn't get it completely. I didn't understand exactly what the decision was that I made, but it just made sense and it felt right. So that was the day. And again, for me, it wasn't like my brother. His was this miraculous conversion. Me, it was a gradual sort of process of growing in the Lord, learning more about who he was and just kind of understanding this new faith. It was almost like a baby coming out of the womb and you have to you know, nurture it and feed it and, you know, take care of it and understand, help it so it can grow into the point where it learns how to talk and learns how to walk and then eventually, you know, develops different skills. Like, that's what I felt like. I felt like this new baby that needed to kind of grow and learn and, um, you know, just understand the decision that I had made and what God had done. And once, once we got to a point, probably towards the end of 2002 or so, when I got baptized, that's when I started to really understand the decision I made and which will still go down as the most important decision I'll, I'll ever make in my entire life. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. You covered a lot of my next question already, but I wrote the question and I really like the question. So I'm going to ask it the way that I have it written and you can answer it as you feel moved. Okay. Um, it's, I, I don't think the average person can grasp, just how life-changing receiving Christ can be to those who haven't experienced this like you and I have. Can you Mm -hmm. explain some of the immediate changes that you both felt and noticed when you received the Spirit of God and welcomed them into your heart? Yeah, so for me, again, mine was a process. So the immediate feeling was it felt good. Like that's kind of what it was. Like that just felt like the right time. It felt good. Um, you know, I guess I was probably sadly mistaken that you feel like your life is going to change for the good and everything's going to be great. Like nothing's going to go wrong in your life. And uh, obviously life still happens and sin still exists and is rampant in this world. So things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. And for me, well, go ahead. You know, I just I just want to interject on that because that's a point that I I I had to learn the hard way. You know, when I was a young Christian, when bad things would happen, I would think, you know, either I had done something wrong or the devil was attacking me. But a lot (laughs) of times, you know, I found that God will put us in positions where we need to seek him. And it's through seeking him and getting through whatever that challenge is that our faith grows. Sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, during this time of my sort of new faith that I was living with, you know, my wife and I were walking through a bout of infertility. You know, we had gotten married in 1999 and we wanted to have kids right away and we weren't having kids. Like it just wasn't happening. We weren't able to get pregnant. And 
it was very frustrating. And to be quite honest with you, Todd, the reason in the back of my mind why I said yes to God that day was hoping that this sort of genie in a bottle, I could rub it and all of a sudden my wife would be pregnant. So I was going to get what I wanted. So I figured if I had God on my side, I'm going to get what I want. No problem. We're going to have a kid. We're going to have five kids, whatever we decide. And again, it just doesn't work like that. You know, it really, it, that's what faith is about. Like faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. And we weren't seeing any, uh, you know, any action here as far as God delivering us a child for a lack of a better word. And so I really had to come to a point where I understood that this is a faith in Jesus. This is uh, trusting in him and that his plan is right. His plan is good. But that also means that if his plan is different from my plan, he's still God and he's still good. And that really was hard for me to grasp and understand because I was like, wait a minute, I want to be a dad. My wife wants to be a mom. God, what are you doing here? When is this coming? When is this going to happen? And we had to come to a point in sort of acceptance of, you know what? Maybe God just doesn't want us to have kids, but that doesn't change who he is as in God and as in his son, Jesus. That doesn't change because of our circumstances. And so for us, we had to kind of accept that for me, especially. And it wasn't until 2000 and the end of 2003, when we were finally able to get pregnant. And that's the first time I really ever felt, you know, truly felt like overwhelmed by God and his spirit. When we found out that we were going to be having a child, I, I mean, I just wept like a baby and just fell to my knees in gratitude and thanks to God and just overwhelmed with just felt like I had my prayers were being answered. And that's where I had to really seek God and understand that, listen, sometimes God answers prayers, but he doesn't answer them the way we want them to be answered. And for us, we wanted them to be answered right after we got married. And it didn't happen that way. It took three and a half, almost four years. Um, but he does answer prayers. It's just sometimes those answers are not now or maybe, no, I got something better for you. And so you know, it was really a part of growing in God. That was what the tough part was. It's real interesting because, you know, the most famous infertility story of all is Abraham and Sarah. Yep. And one day I went, because he gives you the, the years. If you go through Genesis, he gives you the years between this and that and this and that. And I, I, I might be off by one or two years, but from the time that God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, it was about 21 years before he, he had Isaac. Yes. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, during that time when we were walking in the infertility, you know, as I was trying to grow in this relationship with God, man, I seeked every single Bible story that you could imagine that was even remotely close to what we were going through, you know, with obviously Abraham and Sarah and the book of Job and Job having everything taken away from him and still praising God and, you know, Hannah and Samuel and Hannah, all yeah. just reading these stories of different people like not getting what, what they're so yearning and desiring to get from God and yet God coming through eventually because he wants to help them grow in their faith first. And by the way, we ended up naming our daughter Sarah. And I think there isn't any coincidence there that her name is Sarah and what we walked through and what we went through um, being very similar to what Abraham and Sarah went through as well in the Bible. So, yeah, it's been a fun journey. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, that I am a dad. But honestly, God is God no matter what my circumstances are. And that's why he's worthy to be praised. Absolutely. Yeah, I have my own story with that. And I'll get into a little bit of that as we go on here. 
but I didn't have I didn't get married till I was 42 and I okay. didn't have a child till I was 44 and it was just the opposite <laughs> you know once we tried to have a kid uh, like literally the third time we tried we we got pregnant at 42 <laughs> and and you know my wife was 40 at the time and uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the questions and maybe we'll get back to that a little bit because uh, sure. my Wherever story you is kind of interesting too. Yep. Um, and and you, again, you kind of segued into my next question was how did your wife react to your salvation, and you know, kind of give us a little bit of the story as to you know did she receive God soon after? Uh, you know, what what kind yeah. of was the way that that worked out? Well, it wasn't um, it wasn't the best situation at first because you know my wife and I both grew up Catholic. We got married in a Catholic church, and we had a very comfortable life um, up to the point when I became a Christian uh, or born again Christian, whatever you want to call it. But uh, we were very comfortable. You know, I had a job at ESPN, and she had her job, and we had a house, and everything was great. And you know, my brothers both were headed down really bad paths, and for us, you know, we were. We were doing pretty good, especially from the world, uh, looking out, looking inside, you know, hey, you know, they're doing all right. You know, young married couple, you know, nice jobs, you know, friends, all that stuff. Um, but obviously I was empty. You know, I was empty without God. And so when I became a Christian and my wife had seen sort of the conversion for my brother, so she knew sort of what that was. But, you know, at first it just wasn't for her. In fact, she even questioned if it was for me, because, again, we were very comfortable. Everything was fine. Like there was just no need to kind of disrupt the the world that we were living in and the way that we were living. So for her, it took a while. You know, I became a Christian on Mother's Day 2001. She probably became a Christian somewhere in late 2004. Um, so, you know, that's three years, three and a half years of uh, being married and having a kind of different beliefs. And it really wasn't until my daughter became uh, or became into this world and um, you know, we had conversations about how we were going to raise her and what we were trying to, you know, how we were going to bring her up in the faith. And then, you know, we also, I found a good church home and the people that I went to church with befriended my wife and just never forced their faith on her. They just became friends with her. And through that friendship is what actually ended up leading her to Christ. It wasn't me. Um, it wasn't anything I said or anything I did. You know, I made it a very important uh, point to myself early on that I would never force my faith on my wife ever. I just felt like that was not going to work out well if I tried to do that. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to shy away from it, but I was going to be very careful about it. You know, I did make a tough decision probably a year into my walk with God to go to church without my wife uh, because we were differing beliefs, but I knew I had to get myself into a Bible believing church and so I found one and I went to church by myself without my wife for a good year and a half. Very, very, very difficult to do. Um, but I also made a point when I finished going to church to come right home. So I didn't allow myself to build a, a church community of friends that I would have liked because my marriage was more important. And so I made sure that when, um, you know, when, when I was done with church, I was getting right back home to my wife so we could spend time together because I wanted her to know that she was right underneath God as far as my priorities, you know? So uh, it was not I easy, love that. that's for sure. I love that story. You know, the, the what, 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 I, what I was sensing while you were talking was, you know, first of all, that could have gone a completely different way if you had made a different decision on how you were going to approach it. 
And the other the other kind of takeaway that I got from that was I got a real strong sense that you know if we if we got everything we wanted the second that we wanted it, human nature is to become spoiled and to not appreciate it. When you have to you know wait a, a year or two for your wife to become a Christian and join you. And I, I, I know that your heart was probably yearning every day for that. But, boy, I bet you really appreciated it more once it happened. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, Todd, it, was, it wasn't an instant change either for my wife. Like, it, it was very similar to mine. It wasn't like this, she can point back to a day or, you know, this big, huge conversion moment for her. It was a gradual building of relationships. And now whenever I speak to men's groups or to churches and they ask me about the best way to share your faith, you know, it's usually about sharing your faith in the workplace because I worked at ESPN, but it's just how does one share their faith with another? I really tell them it's about relationships because only through relationship with others are you going to have an opportunity to get to know them, to talk to them, to share what your life is about with them. And then through that, maybe they see, you know, Jesus in you, or maybe they're just curious about the faith that you live or, or whatever, you know, it's just part of who you are. And that's what happened with my wife. She became such good friends with the friends that I had who went to our church that it was just natural for her. She's like, listen, you, you know us real well. Why don't you just come to church? We're all there. And so that was right after my daughter was born. She decided to come to church and, um, and really hasn't stopped going since. So yeah, it's been it's been so refreshing and, and so wonderful to watch her and her walk now, especially, you know, we're talking 10, 11 years later now, and she's, you know, teaching Sunday school to toddlers and she, um, you know, she's just such a great example in the church and serving in there. So I, I'm very, very, you know, I thank God every day for that. I really do because there were very hard moments and very tough moments where I sat in bed and was just like, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but this does not feel right. This doesn't seem right. So. It ain't working. I need help. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, but it's those moments when you really find God, I find. And, you know, when you're young in Christ, a lot of times you don't realize it. And once you, you know, it's like any other skill, right? Like, you know, what makes those athletes the best in the world? Well, it's, you know, yeah, there's God-given ability, but there's, it's, they practice their craft. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's no different with faith and going through things and enduring things and seeking God. That's what truly um, forges, I think, our relationship. I mean, for me, when I became a Christian, unfortunately, I was led to Christ by a group that turned out to be a Christian-based cult. Uh, my whole foundation was rotten. Um, I, it was, I had like almost a second salvation where I realized that it was false. And then, I, you know, God showed me clearly I had to tear out the whole foundation that I had built. But I look back, and if I hadn't done that, I see the other people I knew from the group, and they're still under a lot of the same mindset. And they've never really experienced, in my mind, true Christianity and it's it's just amazing though that when the, the what you go through is what really makes you who you are. Yeah, and I think that's genuinely what you find with any person who has a uh, who's deeply spiritual and who's deeply you know devote devout or devout I should say in their faith, whether it's Christianity or another religion. Like 
the people who are really deeply devout in their faith, I think, and it's genuine and it's real, and, they, and, it's, and it's, it's a revolved around a, a genuine love and care for people, you know, I think you see the difference in that versus sort of the uh, legalistic religion sort of, you know, have to be a certain way or act a certain way. I, and really Christianity to me is really the only place where I've seen where it's about true love and sacrifice uh, for other people. And, you know, I just, yeah, I mean, I think it's just wonderful to, um, to really be walking with the Lord. I mean, I never fully really expected myself ever to be, end up as a Christian. That's for sure. I mean, I always was completely fine with my life without God, but man, I I don't know where I'd be without him now. Well, exactly. And, you know, you, uh, well, it's funny, again, you kind of segued me, you know, and my next question is, if you could tell someone, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, well, we both know what it is, but uh, (laughs) we won't belabor the point. If you could tell someone who hasn't received Christ one thing that you think that they should know about receiving Christ, what would it be? Um, That's a great question. And that's a question I've never been asked before. Um, I think I would tell them to really search it out for themselves because, and yes, you know, I'm guilty of this. I put Bible verses on my Twitter page and I encourage people. And I think that's great. Like we should, as believers, we should be open about our faith. We should be telling people about the faith and the hope that is in us, but it's our hope. It's my personal relationship. And so you may think that sounds weird or strange to hear like personal relationship with somebody that doesn't, you know, that's not physically here and human. That's that's just strange. That's weird. It is strange and weird. Trust me. I, I thought the same thing, but seek it out for yourself. Do the, do the research, you know, try to understand, because I know there's a lot of people who say that they believe in God, but then you kind of go deeper into it and they really don't know what they believe. In fact, I was probably one of those people. I I would definitely say I believe that God existed. I just had no idea what that meant. And so what I would do is say, do your homework, you know, do your preparation, do your research and read the Bible, Um, seek it out. Um, There's a great movie called the case for Christ that just came out a couple weeks ago, maybe a a little over a month ago uh, from uh, a guy who the McDowell, uh, an old book. No, it's a book. It's a book about um, Lee Strobel who was an atheist. And it's a true story. And he was an atheist. Yep, yep, was an, I, okay, yep. An investigative reporter. And so Lee Strobel investigates and makes the, tries to find a case against Christ. And so he searches all the evidence, all the historical documents, and he can't do nothing but end up coming up with the fact that there is a case for Christ. That there, there's more evidence that he was who he says he was than there is not believing who he says he is. And that's a, like, that's what I'm saying here is encouraging others to do the same thing. Like do your own investigation, do your own research, read the Bible, read what it says. Like it's easy to kind of listen to other people and have a secondhand faith, if you will, but man, do your own research and come up with, um, you know, questions and don't be afraid to be a skeptic. Don't be afraid to ask not only God, what are you trying to tell me here, but ask people, ask Ask people of faith, challenge them, because uh, I just don't think there's enough of that out there. And I think, you know, First Peter 3.15 says it perfectly to me. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and love. If in this I world love. we as believers 
would tell others about the hope that is in us and do it with gentleness and love, this would be a changed world. But we don't. What we do is we force it on people. We yell at them. We tell them, how can you not believe what I believe? Or if you believe something different, you know, you're wrong. You're going to hell. You're terrible. You're a bad person. It's like, no. The Bible says clearly, give a reason for the hope that is in you. So this is my faith. I'm not going to tell you what you need to believe. I'm just going to tell you what I have experienced in my life. And then I, man, I better do it with gentleness and I better do it with love because that's what Jesus did. And through that, we can have more healthy conversations here in this world if we would just be like that. And I think we saw what happens when we don't during this election process. And even right now with what's going on with our president, like people are just, it's still a divided country. And if we would just have more gentleness and love in our conversations, we could actually make some pretty good progress. So and that really all stems from the Bible for me. Yeah, I, you might not have ever gotten that question before, but you nailed the answer, and I was definitely blessed in hearing it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to add to a couple of these questions my own experience as well, and this is one of them. You know, I read a book um, when I first was coming out of the cult. It was called Your God is Too Small. Uh, because the cult that I was in was very legalistic, and it, you know, it talks about how when you're a kid, you know, when you're a child, the, the concept of God comes very easy to you. As an adult, from how you often sometimes see other people portraying the religion, you don't know how you could fit into that. And my comment to anyone who, you know, my, to anyone who has never experienced Christ is, if you do it the right way and you seek God from your heart, it, it, it makes you the best you can be. It doesn't turn you into something that you'll be uncomfortable in. So I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to share that part. Um, Next question is kind of similar, but a little different. What do you think the biggest misconception from those you have spoken to about Christ, about Christians and the life of Christ? I think the biggest misconception, and I probably was one of those people who thought this too, was that all Christians were judgmental and hated people who didn't believe the same thing they believed. And, I could see in some cases from some people why they might think that way. I really can. Um, but for the most part, I don't think that's totally true. I think for most people that I know, when we have face-to-face -face conversations, and that's a big one because we can all hide behind our social media, but I think a biggest misconception is that we're all judgmental and we're all hypocrites. The one thing I will say is I do agree with that second part. We are all hypocrites. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we're messed up. We're all full of sin, and we're all going to mess up. But the misconception, I think, is that we're all this sort of judgmental, regimented, um, you know, in some ways legalistic, legalistic. people. And I don't, think, uh, I don't think that's totally true. I mean, especially as I've gotten older in my faith, man— I'm so messed up right now. Who am, I mean, who am I to judge somebody else's walk when I can't even stand up here and say I have it all figured out? Like, I don't. And so I really what I've learned is loving and serving others and just encouraging them and, and seeking people out to try and just be there for them is the best example I can be for Christ. And I think that's why it's so rare or it's so, 
not glorified, but it's just so, uh, I don't know. It's it, people say, Oh, we, I wish we had more of that in this world. You know, more people who are willing to help more people who are willing to serve. We actually do have a ton of people in this world who are doing that. It's just so rare for a lot of people to experience that themselves that they become sort of, uh, uh, they had they paint this picture that doesn't fully exist, that this is how it is. And so for me, uh, I just try to love, just try to serve. And I never try to explain or tell people that I have it figured out because I don't, I don't have it all figured out, which is the exact yep. reason why I'm a Christian. At the end of the day, my feeling, and I'll, I'll build off of your point a little bit. Um, and, you know, again, I, the reason I'm asking the questions I am and trying to have the conversation that I am is because of that perception, and I wanted to go against it. You know, real Christians have a heart and can be honest and things of that nature. Um, but I, I also wanted to say that, and I just it jumped out of my brain, and I, I really wanted to make the point. Don't you hate when that happens? But, um, hey, that's a podcast. We can go wherever you want, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, I, I think that, um, you know, that's, that is a, that is very true about miscon- uh, a, a misconception. And, and I really like that answer. If I think about the other thing I was going to say, I will answer it. I, I, now this time I kind of led into my next question. Um, but my next question is, what do you think is the most underrated of Christian virtues? And the reason I ask this is I've, I have one that's very simple but seemingly often goes overlooked. Um, forgiveness, I think. And, you know, I'm in the midst of right now writing a book um, uh, about forgiveness, and it's the personal story of my relationship with my dad, the broken relationship with my father, and how it took me for a long time to truly forgive him for what he had done to me and my family. But I think that's such an underrated uh, and – um, just such a valuable trait to have, especially as Christians. If anybody are going to be good forgive people of forgiving, it better be Christians because we're not here as believers if God didn't forgive us. Like that's the whole point of salvation is to ask Christ for forgiveness for the sins that we've committed so that, you know, we can spend eternity with him. And that's why Jesus came to this earth was to take our punishment was to take the sins that we've committed and he nailed those to the cross. So in essence, he's forgiving us every single day for, you know, the idiotic things that we do. And I just think as believers, forgiveness is a vital aspect, but it's very, very difficult to practice. It's a great sounding thing. It's wonderful when somebody says, I forgive you, but man, is it hard to put into practice? And I think that's why when we see it, when it fully, truly does exist and come to fruition, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what the gospel is about. I, I love it. It's a different answer than the one that I have, which I will share. Um, but uh, I don't think there's a right and wrong here. Um, for me, it's honesty. Hmm. Um, you, you, you really don't hear much of it being preached or talked about. But, you know, there's a verse. It says God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. Mm. And to really get any, you know, to me, honesty is the currency of the gospel, right? You yeah, know, when you, when you go, when you go to God, he'll forgive you, but you, you, you have to bring what's out of joint. 
similar to if you don't go to a doctor and say, hey, heal me, and he's like, well, what, what's wrong with you? Oh, I right. don't know. Right. You know, it's it, there is even though he is the one doing the forgiving and the healing, we do bear, uh, you know, responsibility to bring ourself and our junk to the cross. And so I find, you know, it ties into the other subjects that we've been talking about about forgiveness, and because a lot of people will tell you that they forgive you, but their actions show, yeah, maybe not so much. Honesty, well, an, and you talk about word. hypocrisy. Yeah, and another word that goes with honesty, Todd, is transparency. And I think, you know, when people are transparent, honesty kind of comes with that, right? Because when we, when we say we're being transparent, what we're really saying is we're just being brutally honest and, and, and openly honest about what we struggle with, what we've gone through in our lives. And so transparency, you could add that as sort of a second word with honesty, and I could not agree more. Like, I think when we see full honesty and transparency in the way that we live and the discussions that we have, Man, real great things come from that. There's no doubt. And and some people wrongly say that being brutally honest is, is no, that that's cruel. <laughs> you know, telling someone their faults, you know, well, I'm just being honest, you hear a lot of times. No. Right, but remember, do it lovingly. At, and yeah, honesty compassion. starts at home. That's right. Yes, it does. That's it's exactly right. You know, honesty starts at home. You know, you had posted one thing. Now, where's this question? Um, yeah, you recently spoke online about how prayer shouldn't be by rote, but more like a conversation with God. I would love yes. for you to expound on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I just think I, I think I tweeted that out a couple of days ago, and I think the biggest thing I was trying to get across is sometimes when I tweet things like that, I do it for myself as much as I'm trying to encourage and and love on others, especially through social media. But I sometimes do that for myself because prayer, for me, prayer can easily become this regimented, repeated, memorized, recited type. It's almost like a song that comes on the radio that you've heard a thousand times. You know the song and you just sing it and you know the words and you don't even know what you're singing. You're just repeating it because you've heard it a thousand times. And a lot of times that's what prayer can become. It has happened to me. Prayer sometimes will be like, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Bless us and take care of us. <laughs> you know, bless the food to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. Like you're just reciting it. You're not really praying. And I think what God wants from us is a relationship. He wants to have dialogue. He wants us to talk to him. And I'm reading a great book about prayer right now. Uh, and I'm sorry, I have to look up the name. I don't have it memorized right off the top of my head, but I know it'll come to me in a second. But I'm reading a great book, book on prayer um, called Talking with God. That's what the book is called, Talking with God. And it's from Adam Weber. He's the author. And this book simply leads us to a simple way to where we have conversations with God. I mean, that's what relationship is about, right? Being honest, being open and just talking. And yes, we're not hearing an audible voice talk back to us. But when we talk to God, when we open up and just kind of come to him and say, you know what, God, right now, life stinks. And I don't understand why. And it doesn't change who you are, but it stinks. What's going on here? And you may not get the answer right away, but obviously through prayer and through reading his word. And sometimes, you know, God just brings you the perfect answer right through um, the pages of the Bible. But it's prayer is not meant to be this regimented, you know, thing. And I think, you know, Jesus taught us how to pray with the Our Father, 
which is a common prayer that I prayed a lot when I was growing up in the Catholic church. And even more, I still hear that prayer said, and it's a beautiful prayer. Like when you really look at it, the, our father is a beautiful prayer, but we're not, Jesus is teaching how to pray. He's not saying, remember this and recite this and then just say it every time you want to talk to me. He's saying, pray like this father in heaven, give us this day, our daily bread, be thankful, forgive those that have wronged us. So he's saying, this is how we're supposed to pray. But he's not saying just have it memorized and come to me with that every single time. And so I really believe what I meant by that was just simply that God just wants you to talk to him. Just talk to him, man, and just talk to him like he's your best friend and know that he's listening. And you may not get an audible answer back, but at least it's almost like, a, uh, you know, just a, a best friend sitting right next to you letting you vent. Like just vent to God. He loves that. Absolutely. You know, that was one of the early lessons for me when I was doing it right the second time is there's no prayer too small or too great. And, um, you know, to me, prayer is the engine that drives faith and touching, you know, you, you, you alluded to pain, right? Things stink right now. Yeah. And one of my, one of one prayer that I say quite often is Lord God, I'm in pain take away this pain that I feel about X, whatever it is, you yeah. know, and, and Lord God, take away my feelings of insecurity, take away my feelings of whatever it is. And I always compare it to like the washing machine, right? You, 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 you know, when, when things are dirty, you throw them in the washing machine and you know that they come out clean. Well, prayer yes. is, is, is like a washing machine. You throw everything in and by giving it to God, you make it clean. And so that, that's, um, that, that's an important thing. So that's why I wanted to ask you your thoughts on prayer. And it seems like we have very similar ideas and concepts about how important that is. And the last thing I'll say on the subject is often God might not answer your prayer and give you what you want but he will at least give you the strength to endure whatever you're going through. And that that's right. is very valuable. Yes, because a lot of times, Todd, it's a great point because a lot of times we, we go to God and we're looking for something. You know, I went to God in the beginning and I said, God, give me a child. So I'm looking for him to give me something. God, heal me. God, take away the pain. God, bless us with this food. God, give me a job. God, you know, find me a wife. Find me, you know, a husband. God, find me, give me, you know, bless me. And a lot of times we just, we need to kind of put that attitude of gratitude in place and just say, God, thank you. Thank you. I know it's, I'm not saying thank you that I'm in this terrible situation, but thank you for who you are and for never leaving me. Thank you for always being there. And then if it's your will and you can take this away from me, please do, because it sucks right now and I'm stuck in it, but God, you're still God. (laughs) And so thank you for who you are and just leave it at that. I think that's really what, but again, we go back to that word transparency or even honesty. That's who God wants us to be, isn't, you know, if we're ever going to try to fool God, man, that's, that's going to be, it doesn't work We like end that. up just fooling ourselves, really. Oh, completely, completely. You know, we just, you, you, you know, and, and this, you know, we talked about the value of, of, of honesty, but there, there, the, you know, there's a curse upon dishonesty, because yes. dishonesty drives you further from God and makes it harder to be honest. Yes. And not only with God, but within our relationships that we have, you know, I've obviously, I, I struggled with that before I was a Christian, you know, it, it's always easy to kind of, you know, fabricate something or make yourself look better or bigger or whatever it is. 
by uh, stretching the truth or even just holding something in and not telling somebody about it. And that's just leads to destruction. It just does. So it's always yep. better to, at the very least, even when it hurts and it's painful to be honest, always is and it's like we were taught as kids. Honesty is still always the best policy. There's no doubt. Another difficult subject, if I may, and yeah. you again alluded to it a little bit. You, you actually alluded to both my next questions, but I'm only going to ask this one. Another difficult subject is the mixing in modern America of religion and politics. I found mm-hmm. many of my Christian friends to be very involved in, in lockstep with right-wing politics. How political, if any, are you, and what are your thoughts about this mixing of religion and politics? Well, to, I'll answer the, the first part. I am not very political at all. Um, in fact, I'm probably one of the least political people you'll ever meet. Uh, I have my beliefs. My beliefs are centered around my faith. So I, that's number one. And so God is on the throne, on the rock on which I stand. And so I follow that. So he's who I answer to, not Hillary Clinton, not, you know, very, not uh, Donald Trump. Obviously, very similar to what Ernie Johnson said on TNT back when the election was over. He's like, you know, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know who's on the throne, and that's God. And that's exactly how I feel. I feel the same way. Um, this election was probably the most uh, interested or um, something I followed more closely than ever before as far as an election goes. Because, I don't know, I was just fascinated for a few reasons. Number one, I didn't want to vote for either of the candidates. And that's been a first for me, you know. And, and I, I've been voting since 1993. So I had to think, all right, how am I going to, where am I going to go with this? God, what do you want me to do here? And in the end, I just didn't vote for either of them. Um, which me, was me. Very, I want to interject me either. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't yeah, do I, it. I couldn't in I, my I couldn't big do races it. I, vote for either of them. And that's, I don't lean really one way or another. I mean, are most born-again Christians leaning towards uh, conservative right wing? Probably, but I think that's a little bit, um, I think that's a little bit stretched in the media as well. I don't think most Christians try to lean a certain way. There are some. Again, I think it's a vocal minority that we saw in the election on both sides. You know, a vocal minority of people that say, this is how I believe and you're wrong. And the other side says, this is how I believe and you're wrong. And you don't, you don't do this, so you're wrong in your, in your beliefs and, and I'm, I'm never going to talk to you. Like you just saw animosity and anger and hatred come out from both sides in this election. But I truly believe that the majority of people were more closely intertwined than people think. And it was the very vocal minority on both sides that were dominating the headlines. And I think, again, it just required civil communication between whatever side you want to call it. Like, I don't like saying sides. Like, we're all in this together as human beings. We're all Americans here. You would hope. You would hope. But it's still extremely divided. And that's the blessing and the curse, I guess, of social media is people all get to have a voice Everybody gets to kind of share what they believe and what they think. And a lot of nastiness came out during, during the, uh, the election time, and it's still kind of existing right now. And what you see, unfortunately, is both sides are preaching tolerance, and neither of them are, are, are actually practicing it. And that's a problem. You know, that's a big problem. So um, 
I don't know. I'm not big in politics. I don't like discussing it much because I just don't feel educated enough. Um, but it's obviously you. You, know, you, you, you did great. I mean, yeah. I don't want to get too much in the weeds on that one. That's fine. Um, That's about as best like, as I can give you, anyways. So. Yeah. No, you did great, and and I, I just wanted to add, you know, my thoughts on this, which is when Jesus came and walked the earth, he came at a very, very divided time very similar to what we're going through now. Um, the Jews were under occupation from Rome, and they were looking for a sal- salvation to be to get them out from the grip of the Romans. They weren't looking for what he was really coming to deliver to them. And it was part of the reason, although not the only reason, that they weren't open to his message. So I just you know, the point I want to make is, look, again, I'm like you. If you want to be into right wing or left wing or whatever wing politics, you know, God gives you the right to do that. I don't, you know, I lean barely one way. But my bigger point is the mixing of religion and politics, when it does occur, can be dangerous. It can yes, send the is. wrong message to non-believers. And I didn't Jesus actually himself, answer that to you. I didn't actually and, and answer G- that question when you asked me about religion and politics. I actually kind of just went and said what I believe. I think the best answer for that is if God is at the center of who you are, it's going to be a part of all of your life. And if politics is a portion of that, fine. But God is, if God is at the center of who you are, then your faith is going to be everything to you. And that's what it is for me. So when I vote, I vote with my faith being at the center of every single thing that's going on in my life. So that's the best answer I can give. But when it, when it mixes in is when it be, can become a little dangerous. And you use the word religion versus faith. Like my faith in Jesus is what is the center of my life. But the religious side of it is, you know, obviously politics, you know, the religion's got to be a portion of that because that's a, the crux of who people are. But, you know, I don't think that you make decisions you know, you're making decisions what's best for what the, what the government thinks is best for this country, period. Now, hopefully what's best for the country revolves around some of the same, you know, uh, beliefs and, and traits that I have, but sometimes it's not. Um, but that doesn't, again, change who God is. No. And, and I'll just finish, and you made a good point. I'll just finish up by, uh, my, my, my thought on that, which is, you know, Jesus wasn't political, you know, he didn't get involved. You know, he did. His answer to everything was, I've come to do what my father has asked me to do. And yep. I think, you know, that is the purest form of religion is is because we're all different. You know, I, you know, I'm not you. You're not me. And it's really about being comfortable that you're being pleasing to what God's will is for you. So I, I do want to give you an opportunity before we leave to talk a little bit about your new venture. I know it's a, new, a very exciting new chapter in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Of course. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. So as I was getting to the last couple of years of my tenure at ESPN, I had to start thinking. Oh, I, I shouldn't say I had to start thinking. God was working inside of me, my spirit, about thinking about leaving ESPN. And uh, I really didn't know what that meant at first. You know, in fact, I kind of shrugged it off. And I even remember telling my wife, you know, that I was kind of having this thought and she just kind of shook it off too. She's like, no, what are you crazy? We were in Bristol, Connecticut because of your job at ESPN. We're not, we're not moving or leaving. I said, I understand, 
but this is kind of what God is stirring in my heart right now. So that was two years ago. And really it didn't come to fruition until about December of 2016, about six months ago when I started to see God open up the door to truly giving me an opportunity to walk and say yes to him and leave ESPN to walk into a sort of a, a world of ministry, which is where I, where I've ended up going. Uh, but it was a process. It was a year process of trusting in God, being patient and pursuing him at the same time, which is very difficult. You know, there's an active patience and a passive patience. I was trying to be active in my patience in pursuing God, getting to know him even more, seeking him and honestly just building relationships with different people outside of ESPN in the faith uh, to help encourage me and just kind of prepare me for whenever God, you know, whenever the time was to say yes to God. And so in December, an opportunity came to go work for a, a faith and sports ministry called sports spectrum. And, you know, they allowed me to kind of come on and work part time. And they asked me to host a faith and sports podcast. And I, I said yes to that. That was, I really felt like that was God really opening up my eyes and saying, you know what, this is, this is where I prepared you and called you to go right now. And so this faith and sports podcast and the website that sportspectrum.com that I helped manage, but I also believe God has called and opened up doors that I wasn't expecting or planning on uh, specifically speaking uh, and opportunities to share my story, both in churches and in different businesses and at conferences and even in schools and that's something that over the last two years, I've really developed a passion for. And if you just said three years ago, Todd, uh, you know, Jason, I want you to come speak at this place. I would have laughed at you. I said, what are you talking about? Because I had zero desire to ever stand up in front of people and, and talk about anything. Uh, but God opened up a door for me a couple of years back to speak for the first time. And I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, people seem to really um, resonate with it and, you know, like it, I guess. So I have developed a passion for speaking. Um, you know, an opportunity came to, I told you about the book earlier and I'm writing a book now, which is, you know, you talk about dreams, like that was beyond anything I'd ever even want to do, much less dream about, but it's happening. We just um, finished the first rough draft of the manuscript and we're in the editing process now for the book, which comes out hopefully at the end of this year. Um, so there's that. And then there's also consulting and wanting to kind of take all the experiences at ESPN and in broadcasting that I've accumulated, both as a broadcaster, as a social media strategist, as a producer, and just kind of give back and bring those back to help others, to help nonprofits, to help churches, to help businesses, to help companies like ESPN. You know, if they ever called me and said, can you come back and help me with this project? I absolutely would. Um, I, just, I don't think I'd ever end up back full time. But I definitely think I want to help and consult and just give back on the talents that God has given me and blessed me with over these last really 20 years. So there's a lot of like a lot of roads that I'm kind of traveling on, small roads right now, but it's been a lot of fun and a blast. And quite honestly, Todd, I'm just trying to say yes to God. That's really it. And um, so far, uh, he has not steered me wrong. Well, I'm I'm very thankful and, you know, I'm going to say, do you mind if I say a quick prayer for you? I do not mind at all. I think that would be great. Lord God, I, I really love everything that Jason has put forth today. And I know from my heart that he can be used by you and that you are using him. And I pray that you bless him in all these ventures. 
in Jesus' name, that he might be comforted and strengthened and that you might fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, to do the, the will. And, and I just thank you again that he agreed to come on the show. And I, I, I bless him in, in your name, in Jesus' name. So um, I'm really, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just said amen. <laughs> I was just oh, okay. closing the prayer. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I again, I am super excited that you came on the podcast. Anyone who's listening to this, if you have any questions, I know both Jason and I would love for you to uh, feel free to ask us on Twitter, um, any way you might want to get a hold of us. Follow him on Twitter. I think it's at Jason Romano, correct? That is correct. Yeah, and I'm on there quite a bit. My email's on there, my website, uh, in my bio. So, yeah, I'm not hard to find. So please do hit me up. I'd love to hear from you. Yep, that, that's awesome. And you can find me at Todd from PA. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, a little bit of a, a different pod, but, uh, you know, I prayed beforehand that we would do the subject justice. And, uh, and, and again, I, I thank you very much for coming on. I normally leave the show with a song, I actually got saved at a rock concert in 1983. It was a, uh, a Kansas concert. My my oh, journey to Kansas. faith. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my journey to faith was uh, a long and circuitous one, so to speak. But I was <laughs> right. at the concert, and uh, this song um, it, it was was playing, and it, it just touched my heart in the moment. And I had received the track, and I went and talked to the people. And uh, that night changed my life. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that some other time on the pod. I'm going to leave everyone with Carry On Wayward Son by Kansas. Jason, thanks so much again for coming on the pod. Todd, thank you for having me, man. You were awesome. I appreciate it. Yep, I, I love you and thanks. Here we go. Yes, sir. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your I rose above the night.